Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans. I'm Clint. Thanks, thank you for joining me uh, again. If you're a repeat listener for the first time, welcome. I hope you enjoy what we have today. In fact, if, if you're the first time ever listening and this is your first episode ever, I'd actually recommend you go back because today's going to be commentary on a previous episode. So this is this will be part three of a three-part series of episodes on the Battle of Dry Sands. So it'd be better to hear the story and then to listen to this. So this is episode 99. If you want to go back and check out episode 98 or even 97, 97 kind of gives the lead in, talks about the different clans. Then in episode 98, I actually make a couple of corrections that I needed to make or, or maybe even some clarifications in some cases on episode 97. I make those in 98. And then this one, so we talked about the actual Battle of Drive Sands. We just, episode 98, the battle, actual part of this series, is just the storytelling part of this. But with all these stories that we tell, there's interesting points in there that can be used as lessons. But before I get too much into what was interesting to me about the Battle of Drive Sands, can I just give a quick shout out to my sponsors, USA Kilts? USA Kilts. I was just watching their YouTube channel earlier today. It's got some great content. They're strong supporters of not just wearing kilts, but Scottish culture, Scottish history, a lot of stuff on there. Also go to their storefront, usakilts.com, for everything you need to wear that has anything to do with traditional Scottish heritage type clothing. The kilt being the centerpiece, but so much more than that. And then also they actually have some content on some Scottish history and culture to include some clan histories and things like that. So go check out usakills.com. All right, so let's talk about the Battle of Drive Sands. Once again, the actual story of what happened was in the last episode. So I encourage you to go back and check that out. Now, why is the Battle of Drive Sands interesting? What could we learn about Scottish clans by learning about this battle? I actually think there's several really interesting points about this that I'd like to to talk about today. Now, one is the in in leading up to the Battle of Drive Sands, the Johnstons raided north of their territory. Now, why is that significant? Because they raid into the territory of clans that are not traditionally considered border reaver clans. So this, this goes into this common theme that we've covered in this podcast as we've tried to unravel the truth about Scottish clans. What was a Scottish clan? What counts as a Scottish clan? What defines a Scottish clan? What was not a Scottish clan? Was every single surname in Scotland a Scottish clan? No, they weren't. Um, but, but how do we tell? And really, there's no universally accepted criteria for all this. So some people... In fact, let me tell you what happened when I first posted the, the first part of this, episode 97, when I'm just giving the background of the Maxwells and the Johnstons leading up to this battle. I, I posted, I, you know, I, I've told you before, I throw these links to these episodes out on different Facebook groups I think would be interested in it. It doesn't cost them anything. They can just come on over and listen to a, a free show about Scottish clans if they're interested if they're willing to listen to a little plug for the sponsors, which is the only kind of commercialism that's involved here. So I threw it up on a Facebook group or a page somewhere, and a guy responds back saying, clans didn't exist outside the Highlands. 
Okay, I, I get it. I get it. Clan is a, a Gallic word. The problem with that, though, if you're using that as your criteria, it's not a clan because you're not a clan if you don't speak Gallic, and Gallic was spoken in the Highlands. The problem with that is that it wasn't only spoken in the Highlands. It was spoken in southwest Scotland, clear up into the 1600s, at least the 1600s. So, and, and that way overlaps with the historical time period where clans were a thing in the Highlands. And we've gone over episode after episode of, well, just go back to the one like Kennedy's. They're from southwest Scotland, Gaelic-speaking probably, kindred, and they, anyway, go back and check that one out. I go, I go into that and make a pretty decent argument. There, there you have an actual Gaelic-speaking lowland clan that was an actual clan. So they're in the lowlands. So there's not the highlands. So there's, there's, there's some really, there's some problems there. Historically, uh, there's some problems with your criteria. There's all sorts of issues there. Now, um, so let's say so my, my standpoint on this is that we want to be a little bit more. I'll use the term clan. Like what was a what was a Highland clan, and what made it a clan. And I will argue that those same defining features that made a Highland clan a clan in the time period where these existed, and for just an example, let's take the 1500s, will you actually do see that in other parts of Scotland, not just the Gaelic-speaking Highlands? And so that leads us right up into where we're at with the Battle of Dry Sands, and you have the Johnstons, so clans... There's a document in 1587 that the government put out, and it lists groups from the highlands and specifically the borders. So it didn't list clans throughout all of the lowlands, specifically the borders that are mentioned, and then highland clans. Okay, so let's, let's pretend for a second that the border clans are the only ones outside of the highlands that are actual clans because they look – act like, operate like the Highland clans. They have chiefs, they have the sense of kinship, real or perceived, and they act together based on that kinship, usually for military purposes. There might have been other examples of, of acting together based on kinship, but the easiest, the most high visibility in history is a military capacity that they are doing this in. And so you have this border clan, a very prominent border clan with the Johnstons, after the, they've made a peace, a truce with the Maxwells, but then they run into some trouble with some people to the north, and they actually raid north into, into the territories of kindreds who are not considered border clans. They're not on any of our lists of border clans. And so once again, if you want a list of border clans, you can go to the 1587 um, Act of Parliament that lists clans with the chief and their, and their people who are more loyal to that chief than they are to the king. And then another good source, especially and specifically for the border, the border reaver clans, are is, is the kind of a what, what word would you use it for the, the book The Steel Bonnets. It's kind of like your it's really your go-to source. That's the best phrase I can come up with. There's probably a better phrase that some of you have got, like, hey, just use this word. But your go-to source on the – it's kind of your foundation. 
the George McDonald Frazier's The Steel Bonnets is for Border Clans. What, as far as how it's used as a source in other works, is kind of like the Collins Scottish Clan and Family Encyclopedia is used for, on Wikipedia. Just pretty much ubiquitous. So, if that that also he 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 will flesh out that list. So the 1587 Act of Parliament is and the, the clans listed there, whether they're Highland or Border clans, is not an exhaustive list, but it is a a good indication if if a kindred is listed on that that the government of Scotland during the 1500s, the time when clans were a thing, that that they viewed those kindreds as clans and viewed viewed those on the border in the, kind of the same grouping in their minds as the Highland clans. All right, and then, then so George MacDonald Fraser takes that list and he dives into it a little bit deeper and actually adds to that list. So neither one are the Bible of clans, but they're very good sources. Um, so there's a little discussion on on the nature of clans and and the geography of the clans, where you have the Johnstons pushing north away from the border in raids against other kindreds that are not considered border clans. Now, in doing so, this really helps us understand how powerful the Maxwells were and how powerful they became, because a lot of these clans who were worried had either had negative experiences with the Johnstons or were worried about having them. They enter into pledges and oaths via bonds of man rent, which I'll talk about that in a second, with the Maxwells. And what that does is that brings several of the most major kindreds of this western part of the Scottish borders. It brings a lot of these most major kindreds there under the... That basically, they're acknowledging Maxwell as their feudal superior. They're loyal. They're pledging their loyalty to him via a bond of manrent. So that's really interesting. And like I said, we'll talk about the bond of manrent in a second. But let me list you some of these names, these kindreds. And these kindreds are not necessarily listed as border reavers, but they are the leading kindreds in this part of Scotland who wanted to tie themselves to somebody that's powerful. And there's some interesting names in here. So listen for this. I'm going to go back and pick on a couple of these. So to the top, the top of the list going down in the order that I I'd had found them on the Wikipedia page, which if you want to get more into sources, go check those previous episodes. I list where Wikipedia is actually pulling this from. But you got the, the Kirkpatricks of Closeburn, Douglas of Drumlinrig, Crichton of Sanquar, Stuart of Castle Milk, Stuart of Garleys, the Murrays, Grierson of Lag, Gordon of Loch Maven, and many others. So interesting in there, you have, let's go to the Gordons. The Gordons are the, the Gordon Earls of Huntley, which is a different branch of Gordons than these. My understanding is that the Gordons of Huntley actually started down, this is the original territory of the Gordons. Now, I haven't gone back and done a study of all this, but my understanding is that they come from the lowlands anyway, and they pushed north got territory in the northeast of Scotland, and that's when they really grew to become a really big deal in Scotland. They had some advantageous marriages, and just things went really well for them. But we have a branch of that family. Now, I don't know how tightly associated with the Gordons of Huntley the Gordons of Loch Maven were. But here they tied themselves to the Maxwells. Interesting. Also, we see that with the Murrays. The Murrays at this time period, um, and I'm going to actually dive into the Murrays. If I don't have time to do it on this episode, I'm going to 
the next episode will be a Murray episode. Um, and then two branches of stewards here, stewards of Castle Milk and the stewards of Garley's, tie themselves with this bond of Manrant to the Maxwells. Now, many of these branches here are in neither the 1587 Act of Parliament nor the book Steel Bonnets are listed as border reavers, yet they tie themselves in a pledge of loyalty via a bond of Manrant to the Maxwells. And so the, the Maxwells command a very prestigious group of kindreds through this bond of Manrant. And that does, if you look at a map, so I got my Scottish clan map on the wall next to me. And it's not the end-all be-all to understanding Scottish clans. In fact, it can lead to some bad conclusions that I've actually adhered to earlier in my life. But it, it is useful. And if you look at all the different, many of those ones from the list are represented on that map. And that's a pretty big chunk of Southwest Scotland that's, that sign or pledge loyalty to the Maxwells. So Maxwells are hugely powerful in this time period. And it, it has to do with this growing tension with the Johnstons. Now, the Johnstons are no slouches either. And they are actually able to tie in the the chief of the Johnstons. I don't know if they, I don't, I'm not, I'm not certain that they called him their chief, although that's not a Gallic term. Um, some the head of the clan, Johnston, his sister, his wife rather, his wife was one of the Scots of Buccleuch, and so he automatically had that. that the Scots of Buccleuch were a very powerful border kindred, very powerful. And so automatically, just via marriage, he has a very strong ally there. But then if that's not enough, he also has Clan Elliot, Armstrong, and the Grams from the Debatable Lands join on his side. So, and that's a pretty rough group of guys right there. These are people who are, these kindreds that, that allied themselves to the Johnstons are Pretty well always in some state of conflict with somebody, whether it's other clans along the border on the Scottish side or raiding across into England. So pretty rough group of dudes, which is a is a good thing if they're on your side and you're fixing to get into a fight, a real fight. In the Battle of Dry Sands, that ends up being a real fight if there ever was one. So then it's a it's a border clan battle. So there's a couple things that are interesting. The last thing I really want to mention here as it pertains to interesting things that come off of the Battle of Dry Sands is this, this bond of Manorant that all these different kindreds in southwest Scotland enter into with Maxwell. So what we have here is something, for the, just going back to the argument of if Highland clans are the gold standard of what it may, means to be a clan and we're – judging kindreds on whether they're clan or not based off of they look more or less like the Highlanders and in their kin-based society, you start learning. I did a whole episode on bonds of Manorant. So if you don't know about that, please go back and check that one out too. But that one really gives you a great understanding. If you understand bonds of Manorant, you understand a very prominent commonly used and powerful mechanism that different kindreds within Scotland and apparently throughout Scotland used to solidify alliances. 
these bonds of manrent were not just used, so the Maxwells were not using this. The, the people that, that were entering into this bond of manrent with the Maxwells were not necessarily kindred. I haven't gone and checked out who everybody's married to within that bond of manrent and all those different kindreds there that pledge allegiance to the Maxwells, but as a kindred. I guess my point is they're not a branch of the Maxwells. So we do see in some cases, and you, like bonds of mandarin being entered into, let's say, with the Campbells. And you see the Campbells of Argyle using bonds of mandarin to solidify their connection to their, their other branches of Campbells. And so the Maxwells, I'm, I guess my point is, weren't connected in the same way to these other kindreds that are pledging their loyalty to them, in the same way that the Campbells were related to these other branches of their own clan. So we see it used, the bond of manrent used both with other people of the same clan, other different branches of it. And actually that's going to, we're going to see that pop up with the Murrays next episode. And then also um, they use it with clans who are not necessarily connected to them at all. They're just in the same area and they're maybe have a feudal, a more feudal relationship, but they're going to solidify that using a bond of manrent. And in, the, in doing so, the Maxwells here look like, Highland clans. So, like I said, the Camels do this. The Macintoshes do this. Clans all throughout the Highlands do this, and they not only do it, but they do it in the same way that the Maxwells do it. So, back in that episode on the Bonds of Manrent, I actually gave you several examples of this happening, and so you can go back and see how the Maxwells, more specifically, using this Bond of Manrent, look like Highland clans quite a lot. So, I encourage you to do that. Anyway, those are some of the major things I think are um, interesting about the Battle of Drive Sands and the things that we learned from that. So geographically, in the lead up to it, we see it extend out beyond what we in, into the territory of people that we don't consider usually border clans. And I don't, I don't really know where that boundary is. Is it watersheds that flow toward the borders versus watersheds that flow northward? Like the Clyde? I don't know. Uh, maybe one of you know, you can put it in the comments. So we have that, just the geography of it's interesting, especially in the lead up to the battle. We have just how powerful the Maxwells were and in, in using the Bond of Manrent to pull a, a lot of the most notable kindreds of Southwest Scotland into loyalty to them. And then also via that mechanism of the Bond of Manrent, what that makes them look like as far as clan versus not being a clan. And, and using that as an argument to say they look, look they use the bond of manrent a lot like Highland clans use them. So anyway, just some interesting points when when it comes to the Battle of Dry Sands and some of the interesting aspects of that. Um, before I let you go though, let me talk a little bit about my sponsor, the the boys over to well boys and gals over to USA Kilts. It's not just men over there, but um. USA Kilts, I just was – was earlier today I was watching on YouTube some of their content there. It is so good. In fact, the one I was watching, I'll just be specific. It was the influence – or how good at wearing kilts Prince Charles is. And they're just they, – they had nothing but – and they weren't trying to – in fact, Rocky even says on there, at the risk of sounding like a suck-up to, to royalty or something along those lines. But he wasn't trying to, but he – it really seems like Prince Charles owns – the kilt wearing like he's not just trying to pander to 
subjects in the realm and make it appear that he gives a darn about him. No, he really does like that part of his heritage and he, he rocks it. And so that was a, they have, they go different, uh, different aspects of his Highland wear. And, and so that's just bringing some contemporary elements of, of the culture into it and how you see it today. But they go into Scottish history. They go into culture. They got so much good content on their YouTube channel, which is actually called USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions. And then if you want to go over to the usakilts.com storefront, it's, that storefront isn't part of the URL, the web address. It's just usakilts.com. And they have everything that you even ever would need over there as far as buying a kilt, buying anything else that's part of traditional Scottish culture. They have other stuff that gets into some Welsh stuff and some Irish stuff. And, and it's, I mean, it's, it's awesome. They have so much stuff in there that are, that's, if I had more money, I would have more stuff from them. But, um, but I do have some stuff from them and I really do like it. And so I can, I can vouch firsthand for the quality of their products and also for the quality of their customer service, which is awesome. Um, get in there experience that it's just a good experience interacting with them and it's free shipping to anybody in the USA. So there you have it. Go to go check out the boys over at USA kilts. And as far as I'm concerned and this podcast is concerned, will you share this podcast with other people that you think might be interested in it? Maybe you're from the borders. Maybe you're from the highlands. We got, maybe you're not from either the borders or the highlands. We got stuff from regions all over Scotland on this podcast that we have done. We've done stuff from Galloway, Ayrshire. We've done stuff from the northeast of Scotland up into the area around Aberdeen and some of those clans. We've we've done clear up into Caithness, which may or may not be considered a highland depending on how you're looking at this. So anyway, we've got we've covered stuff all over Scotland. So please go on there, check out the different episodes if you haven't listened to everything yet. Share it with people that you think would be interested. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, we've got a lively community called the Scottish Clans. It's a group on Facebook, and we've got some guys posting some quality content on there. If you want to get a hold of me personally, you can send me a personal message through that group. You can find me on there and just send me a message. Or you can email me at thescottishclans at gmail.com. So there you have it. Um, Join me next time for episode 100. It's a milestone. It's huge. And uh, we're going to be talking about the Murrays. And until then, Marsh and Leib and Drasta.